welcome to the You Debate Sports Podcast, the new sports podcast that's bringing the debate to the fans. From football to basketball to baseball, let your voice be heard by joining our community of fans. And now, it's time for your host, Ken Bone. Welcome to the You Debate Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Ken Bone. Today is our second podcast, and before we get into our mock draft of the NBA and who the best pitcher in the MLB is, I want to share a bit about us. At Udebate Sports, we're bringing the debate to the sports fan. We're not a news or informational channel, but rather a platform that allows sports fans the ability to more directly engage with one another, to gain perspective, and share knowledge. One of the best ways to figure out what you know is to test or quiz yourself. At our website, udebatesports.com, check out some of the sports quizzes that we have under the quizzes tab. Alright, getting into our first subject of the day, our first mock draft for the 2018 NBA Draft. This is based on current standings in the website tankathon.com, where they project based on ease and hardness of schedule where the teams will end up in terms of the draft. Now, I'm obviously aware that a lot can happen with the lottery picks and with trades, So with that in mind, I will be coming out with more NBA drafts, 2.0s, 3.0s. But for now, this is our first mock draft. This is mainly based upon what the current needs are of the team and the best available talent. So the drafting order is going to go like this. The Phoenix Suns have the first pick. The Memphis Grizzlies are at two. The Atlanta Hawks have the third pick, followed by the Dallas Mavericks at four. Orlando Magic at five. Sacramento Kings at six. Cleveland Cavaliers at 7, Chicago Bulls at 8, Knicks at 9, and Philadelphia 76ers at 10. With the first overall pick, the Phoenix Suns select Luka Doncic, shooting guard from Real Madrid, Slovenia, in the EuroLeague. Now, for a lot of you, this may be a surprise. You may be thinking, DeAndre Ayton, no-brainer, he should be the first pick. But let's look at things a little closer. When we're looking at the NBA nowadays, there's three big center prospects right now, I'd say, with DeMarcus Cousins, Carl Anthony Towns, and Joel Embiid. You could put Nikola Jokic in there from the Nuggets, but it's mainly those three, Cat, Embiid, and Cousins. Now, if you get a big center prospect, it's very likely that he's going to be able to dominate the game. But when was the last time that we saw a team with a dominant big man make a deep push into the finals? I mean, I know we've been dominated by the Cavs and the Warriors the last few years, but even before that, in Miami, it was LeBron, D-Wade, Bosh. No real big man, no dominant presence down down underneath. Even Dirk was a shooting big man, a stretch big. You know, the, the last one that I can think of is Tim Duncan, and that was the first Spurs team that had one of the greatest coaches of all time in Greg Popovich. Now, when we look at Luka Doncic, he's not the most athletic player. He's 6'7", shooting guard, and he's a very smart player. He's been playing in the EuroLeague, the second best talent in professional basketball in the world. He's been playing in that league since he was 16, and this year he's dominating that league. So that tells you one thing. If, if we look at it in terms of baseball, the NCAA would be AA, the EuroLeague would be AAA, and the NBA would be the MLB, professional. Now, what Luka Doncic brings to the table is that he's he can play three different positions. He's very versatile. 
As the shooting guard, he can also play the one. As a 6-7-1, that's pretty dangerous, as well as somebody who can play off the ball and comes off screens very well. He's not the most athletic player, but he uses his uh, basketball intelligence and change of speeds to get around people. Now, one thing in the NBA today that is very valuable is having wings. And if the Suns can draft Luka Doncic with the first overall pick, they have three wings in Luka, Booker, and Jackson. They can all defend, can all shoot, and are kind of positionless. You could put Booker at the one. He's not the best ball handler, but you could still put him there. Luka, you could put anywhere from the one to the three. It's likely that they would have him run the one. And then get an average big man down the, down underneath. Maybe trade your other two first-round picks somewhere around the 15-16 area for DeAndre Jordan, maybe. That would be a nice-looking team. Three wings with Doncic, Booker, and Jackson, plus DeAndre Jordan down low. That would be a pretty dominant Suns team, and that's a playoff team next year in the West. All right, moving into the number two pick for the Memphis Grizzlies, we have DeAndre Ayton, the seven foot, 250-pound center out of Arizona. We haven't really seen a talent like this come around recently. You know, we've had Anthony Davis and Carl Anthony Towns who were kind of stretch bigs. They dominated in college, and now they're dominating the NBA. But they weren't as physically dominant as DeAndre Ayton is at Arizona. At 250 pounds, this is a strong, dense human being. He could also learn from a great center like Marcus Gasol and give him a year of development, although I don't think he really needs it. His comparison is to the Admiral. David Robinson, although he has a little bit better of a jump shot outside, he has that physical dominant presence inside. And he's just a special talent. I don't even know if the Suns will be able to pass him up at one. I just think that Luke is a better fit for that team uh, with the way that the NBA is currently going. Moving on to number three, we have the Atlanta Hawks. They kind of have a backlog in the 3-4 position, that forward position with Torian Prince from Baylor, their second-year guy. And John Collins, who was the 19th, 19th pick in last year's draft and is a very athletic talent and has actually turned out to be one of the better rookies averaging 11, and seven, 11 points and 7 rebounds. I still think that there's one talent that they just won't be able to pass up, and that's Marvin Bagley, the 6'11 power forward from Duke. With Ayton and Doncic off the board, Bagley is without a doubt the best talent left in this draft. He's comparable to Chris Bosh, but his jumper is not quite where Chris Bosh's was. Chris Bosch was kind of that big man that started to stretch out to the three-point line. You know, kind of like Dirk, but a little bit more athletic was Bosch. Now you have that bigger presence inside as well. Bagley has one of the quickest double jumps in basketball, in college basketball, and is able to be a reliable finisher because of it. He's a beast on the boards, both on the defensive and offensive end of the courts, and he can guard multiple positions. He's able to move his feet, and he's very athletic for how big he is. He can even slash off the dribble, you know, attack the basket. On to number four, the Dallas Mavericks will select Michael Porter Jr., the 6'10", 215-pound freshman from Missouri. There's some big health concerns around uh, Porter Jr. as he didn't even play his freshman season. He hasn't even played at all in college because of a back injury. Now, the toughness isn't the question here. As Porter's been able to play through this back injury before, which is concerning in itself, considering that he has played or he has had this back injury for a while. And back injuries aren't something to snuff at. You know, it's not like a rolled, twisted ankle where he just sat up for precautionary reasons. You know, this was a serious back injury. Well, the injury is certainly a concern, 
Porter has some of the best upside that there is in this draft. This is a very deep draft for these first four picks. You know, you can't really go wrong with any of these guys. Porter has the ability to be a Kevin Durant-like player. At 6'10", with his length, he can also handle the ball and shoot. There's not really a whole lot of people that can do that in this draft, or in basketball in general, who have the ability to shoot the three-point like Michael Porter. When he came back into the last two games with Missouri, he didn't look as explosive as he was, but that's kind of understandable coming off a back injury. It's interesting to see where he'll go, as I think the Mavericks can take a chance on him and let him develop under somebody like Dirk, who's a similar type player and might lengthen Michael Porter Jr.'s career. On a number five, on a number five, the Orlando Magic select Jaron Jackson, 6'11", power forward from Michigan State. Now, Jaron Jackson didn't have a great year at Michigan State. He didn't put up numbers. You know, he didn't score. He rebounded quite a bit, but he didn't really score. However, he's just scratching the surface of his potential. He has an insane work ethic and has the potential to be a stretch big. He's great on defense. One of the top three defenders in this draft to go along with Mo Bamba, as well as Chemezi Metsu from USC, who we like a lot, but won't go till the second round. Jaron Jackson would go along with the front court of Jonathan Isaac, who's had quite a disappointing year this year. But those two athletes in the front court could be quite a dominant duo on defense. Number six, the Sacramento Kings select Mo Bamba, seven foot center from Texas. I don't think that the Kings can pass up on this player as he's the next best big man prospect in the draft and the best pure talent still left in the draft, as well as the best pure defender still left in the draft. He has potential on offense if he gets more aggressive, and he has he actually has a decent low post scoring game and is pretty quick and agile with his footwork, which allows him to get around defenders down there in the post. But he really currently struggles to score through traffic, even in college where the defenders aren't as strong as the NBA and his shooting mechanics are a little off, so his offensive game has a lot of work to be done. However, on the defensive side of the ball, he's going to come in and be a defensive anchor for a team. And that's something that can be nice for the Kings because they have scores. They have scores in Buddy Heald, Bogdanovich, and even the point guard in De'Aaron Fox. They just need that interior defender. And Mo Bamba's kind of similar to Rudy Gobert in that he's going to be that defensive anchor and really help a team out. On to number seven, this is an interesting one because the Cavs have the pick from the Sacramento Kings. However, it all depends on what LeBron's going to do this offseason. If LeBron stays, I think that they're likely to draft a center, you know, a dominant center down low. However, I really don't think he's going to stay in Cleveland. I don't know where he's going to go, but I don't think he's going to stay in Cleveland. And for that reason, I think that the Cavs select point guard Trey Young from Oklahoma. Six foot two, 180 pounds. Trey Young is certainly the best scorer in this draft as he had a stretch of 18 games where he scored over 20 points from mid-November to late January. He's also scored over 40 points four times and is an extremely underrated passer at the point guard position. He averaged 8.7 assists per game and even had a 22 assist game against Northwestern State in December. He is small. He's on the small side at 6'2", 180, and he may struggle against bigger, stronger defenders like he saw in the Big 12. And he's kind of turnover prone, as his lowest turnovers were two, and he only did that twice. He also had a game where it was 12 turnovers against Kansas State. That's not something that a 
NBA point guard is going to be able to do and be successful. He is the best shooter in the draft, and he's Curry-like, being able to pull up in the face of defenders from way beyond the arc. He'll be able to help out a Cavs team that has fairly decent pieces with Rodney Hood, Jordan Clarkson at the small forward and shooting guard positions, power forward Larry Nance, and if they decide to keep Kevin Love, that would be a decent five right there with a scoring point guard in Trey Young, a shooting guard in Clarkson, small forward Rodney Hood, power forward Nance, and center of Kevin Love. That's a pretty good five right there. They're going to be able to compete in the East. On to number eight, the Chicago Bulls select Wendell Carter Jr., 6'8", 260-pound power forward from Duke. He's the most skilled low post scorer in this draft. He's kind of a flashback throwback scorer in that he's a bruiser down low. He's not the most athletic player, but that's where his low post scoring really comes into effect. He's not super explosive like Bagley, Ayton, or Jackson, but he has good footwork and he's a good rebounder. He's a beast on the boards and he'll really bruise you down low. He's tough and willing to bang inside on the glass. He'll be good to go along with uh, power forward, stretch big, Laurie Markkinen, and one of the most improved second-year players in point guard, Chris Dunn. Now on to the ninth pick, the New York Knicks select Mikhail Bridges. This is a pick I really love. The New York Knicks have a backlog at point guard with Frank Natilica, or Nilikina, however you pronounce it, and Trey Young from Michigan. I don't think that the Knicks are looking to draft somebody like Trey Young, or somebody like Colin Sexton. I think that they should be looking to draft somebody like Mikhail Bridges. At the ninth overall selection, Mikhail Bridges is a steal here. He averaged 17 points per game for a Villanova team that is going into the championship game today. And as a junior, he's played in two championship games, won one, and has the possibility to win a second today. That's an impressive stretch. He has that experience, and one of the most valuable positions, as we said when we were talking about Luka Doncic, is that wing position in the NBA. He's a 3 and D guy, and he's the best 3 and D defender in this draft. With a wingspan at 7-2, he can defend positions 1 through 3 because he has the quickness to guard smaller, quicker guards, and the wingspan, and even guard the 4 in a small ball lineup. Now on to the 10th and last pick, the Philadelphia 76ers select Robert Williams, the 6'10 power forward from Texas A&M. Robert Williams is maybe the most athletic big man in this draft as he really has the ability to get up and make some insane dunks as we saw in the NCAA tournament with his windmill and his uh, tomahawk dunk. This would be a good fit to go along with Joel Embiid down low and would be a good change of pace from power forward Dario Saric. So that's our first mock draft of the year for the 2018 NBA draft. Head on over to our social media uh, at Twitter or Instagram, at Sports, and let us know what you think. Let us know what picks we got right, what picks we got wrong, or where you think players should go, who we left out, maybe Colin Sexton, maybe Jonte Porter, maybe even Miles Bridges. Let us know who you missed, and let us know who you like. On to our next topic. With baseball season upon us, and so much pitching talent on opening day, we're going to look at who the best pitcher in baseball is right now. Not the best pitcher in their prime, not the best pitcher that we think is going to be good going forward, but who is currently the best pitcher in baseball. There looks to be four that have separated themselves from the rest of the league, so we're going to take a look at those four right now. 
We'll start off with the Dodgers ace, left-hander Clayton Kershaw. Kershaw might be the best left-handed pitcher of all time. Going along with Sandy Koufax, who didn't have quite the longevity in his career, only through 11 years in the pros, Kershaw is on pace to become one of, if not the best left-handed pitcher of all time. His repertoire includes a fastball, which sits currently around 92 to 94, so not overpowering, but he uses his fastball command to get inside on hitters and go away, and it's extremely effective to go along with this slider that's been finely tuned that he's really started to use in the last three years, and we all know that trademark Clayton Kershaw knee buckling curveball that's probably the best in baseball, and that he actually probably learned from Sandy Koufax when he got lessons as a rookie. Over the last 10 years, Kershaw has never had an ERA above three, except for his rookie year in 2008. Three of those seasons, he's actually had an ERA in the ones. He had a no-hitter against the Rockies, which should have been a perfect game except for Hanley Ramirez, the worst-feeling shortstop of all time, decided to make a routine play into a difficult play and throw the ball away. Kershaw has won three Cy Youngs in his 10-year career, the first in 2011, the second in 2013, and the most recent in 2014, also finishing second in Cy Young Award voting last year in 2017. He won the Triple Crown in 2011 as well, which for pitchers consists of leading the league in wins, ERA, and strikeouts. The last one to do this was Jake Peavy, and Sandy Koufax also did this multiple times as well as Randy Johnson. In recent years, Clayton Kershaw has had some injury problems dealing with his back. The last two years especially, as he hasn't been able to reach 200 innings since the 2015 season. That 200 innings mark is extremely important for your staff because you need to be the workhorse to be the best pitcher in baseball. You can't just be out there for 100, game, 100 innings a season and expect that your team's going to do well. You need to be in there for the long haul. Also, we all know about Clayton Kershaw's postseason struggles. He did okay this last year against the Astros until that game six when he gave up the grand slam. Moving on to another left-handed pitcher that could be considered even better than Kershaw, and that's Chris Sale. When he started his career for the White Sox in 2010, he started out of the pen. He started as a closer because he was a big arm, and he had this funky delivery where he's throwing from a three-quarter sidearm slot way across his body. And he was nice out of the pen, but they wanted to move him into the rotation. There was concerns about his longevity, being able to move into the rotation and keep his fastball velocity. But in his first year starting for the White Sox in 2012, he was able to start a total of 29 games and throw 192 innings. Even since then, there's always been chatter that his windup can't hold up because it's so funky that he's going to get injured. But not according to the stats. He started over 25 games every year since 2012 and has thrown over 200 innings four times. The thing that makes Chris Sale so deceptive is his delivery. Again, that three-quarter to sidearm delivery where he's stepping across his body, the ball's coming out in the left-handed batter's box. His slider starts from the left-handed batter's hip and can break to the outside corner. Chris Sale arguably has the best slider in the history of baseball, up there with Steve Carlton of the Phillies, as well as Randy Johnson. He's an anomaly for power pitchers. Most power pitchers can rack up the strikeouts, but struggle with the command of the strike zone. However, for Chris Sale, he has the lowest K-to-walk ratio amongst active pitchers at 5.1. So for every five strikeouts he gets, he's only walking one batter. That's amazing for somebody that throws in the upper 90s. And only, not only that, 
He is the highest K per nine of all active pitchers at 10.6. So for every nine innings he's throwing, he's striking out 10 and a half batters. He's not only not giving up free passes, but he's not even really giving up any contact. That brings us to our next pitcher, Max Scherzer, the reigning NL Cy Young Award winner and the Nationals ace. He was drafted by the D-backs and had some command issues that have uh, lingered a little bit, but not too bad. He just threw his complete, first complete game in 2014 in his seventh season in the majors. However, he has had some longevity, throwing over 185 innings every year since 2010. Again, that's extremely important because you need your ace on the mound, and he's proven that he's going to go out there and get it done game after game after game. His repertoire consists of one of the best changeups in the game, and this is because of the arm action that he throws it with. He throws it so similar to his fastball that it looks like his fastball until about 10 feet from the plate when it just drops off the table. This plus-plus changeup to go along with his mid-90s fastball is arguably the best two-pitch combination in baseball. Because of the speed differential and the arm action it throws with, it is so difficult to pick up that changeup that it's almost impossible to hit. And when you have that combination, plus another two average to above average pitches with his slider and his curveball, it's almost impossible to hit. And that's why his ERA has been so low, resulting in a second Cy Young. What makes him so different than the other pitchers on this list is his intensity. On a consistent basis, you can see him storming around the mound and talking to himself and firing himself up on the rubber. You know, that's something that not a lot of pitchers can do. They don't pitch with that intensity. And that's what separates him. A lot of pitchers have that talent and that ability, but he's got that mindset. Then he's attacking hitters. He's attacking the strike zone now, not like he was in his first few years with the Diamondbacks. And our last pitcher is another right-handed pitcher, the reigning AL Cy Young Award winner, Corey Kluber. The Indians ace who went 18-4 and last year with a 2.25 ERA. He received his second Cy Young. The other was in 2014. Again, with the 200 innings, Kluber has thrown four straight seasons over 200 innings. He's done this through his power-sinker-cutter combo his 93 to 94 mile an hour sinker to go along with his 90 to 92 mile an hour cutter, they come out the same window. They both break in different directions. This makes it nearly impossible to tell which is which, and hitters are almost gonna start guessing. This to go along with one of the nastiest right-handed sliders in the game, one of the sharpest power sliders. He throws it about 88, so it's a quick slider. You know, it breaks up and down. Some call it a clider or a slutter. It's that nasty it's that it's that much of a power pitch that he's throwing it and that's led to over a thousand k's the last four seasons that's averaging over 250 per season the last four seasons so those are the four best pitchers in in baseball right now that's the top top tier of pitchers out of those guys who would you rather have on the mound for your team somebody that's going to give you that longevity somebody that's going to stay healthy somebody that's going to not only strike guys out but command the strike zone and then for Max Scherzer, that guy that has that extra intensity, you know, there's some up-and-comers that could be in this upper echelon in Severino, James Paxton, and Noah Syndergaard, but they don't have the whole package quite like these pitchers do. So let us know. I have an article up on our Instagram page about who the best pitcher in baseball is. It talks about these four pitchers. Head on over to that article on Instagram, at Sports and let us know who you would rather have as your pitcher. One last thing before you go, it's going to be the game to watch. And actually this week, it's going to be the match to watch as Tiger enters his first Masters since 2015. Tiger is back and is ready for action. 
And he said the only reason that he's competing is to win. And he's the odds-on favorite to win the Masters this year. So that's going to be really interesting to watch and see how that unfolds. Well, guys, thanks for listening. I hope to hear from you guys on our website or our social media. Social media, Twitter and Instagram, at Sports, And our website, udebatesports.com. Let me know some topics you'd like to hear because You Debate Sports is all about the fans. It's all about you guys. It's about what you guys want to hear, what you guys want to talk about. Okay, so head on over, DM me, reach out to me, let me know any way you can. Until next time, happy debating. Peace.